We just sang of Christ lifted to the highest place, enthroned on high, he reigns. And in many ways, we're going to see that outworked, or worked out, rather, uh, here in Daniel chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4 as we continue our series through this book. So Daniel chapter 4, the last of the major prophets, chapter 4, we're going to read um, all the verses, all 37 verses there. This is the holy and the inspired word of God. Listen carefully. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my place. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation." The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, 
whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his, his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the purpose for which uh, this uh, chapter was written is stated for us three times so that we don't miss the point. It's told to King Nebuchadnezzar uh, by Daniel, and rather in the dream itself by the watcher, the one who comes down from heaven in verse 17, that this will all come upon him so that 
The living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest or the humblest of men. This is repeated again when Daniel is speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 25. He says again to King Nebuchadnezzar that this will come upon him until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then verse 26, that you might know that heaven rules. And then finally, the voice from heaven when this comes upon King Nebuchadnezzar again tells him, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so that, in many ways, is the purpose for which this story is recorded for us. That the living, and if you're alive today, which I'm hoping all of you are sitting here, are of course alive, that you might know that the Most High, the God of heaven, rules the kingdoms of men. He gives it to whom he wills, and he sets over it, ultimately, the humblest and lowliest of men. Now the question is, well, why do God's people, and why do you need to know this, right? What's the purpose that this is written for us? Why do we need to know that the God of heaven, the Most High, rules the kingdom of men and sets over it the humblest of men? Well, two, two reasons up front here. And I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. Uh, I'm going to use some imagery from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Suzanne and I have been reading that, and so it's in, it's in the back of my mind right now. First, what are the reasons that we must know this? Well, first, we can often feel like hobbits longing for the comforts of home in a big world full of darkness, dangers, and diabolical powers far, far taller and stronger than us. Right? I mean, you've been there. You've been in a position where you feel just tiny and small in a rather large world with big people and big powers at work, and we long for home. Church can feel like this. Uh, last week, which was um, um, Sanctity of Life Sunday, we had mentioned uh, the image of abortion that the world sets up. And if we're unwilling to bow down that, the power, the force that stands behind that, to reckon with that reality, that if you do not bow before the images that man sets up, and in the midst of that, we can often, again, feel like little hobbits in a world that's full of really powerful, big powers at work. And so we, therefore, need to know in those times that the kingdoms of men are ultimately ruled by our God in heaven. Gives us great comfort and strength in the midst of it. And the second reason is kind of on the other side of the spectrum here. The second reason is that we can often feel tempted to wield the enemy's ring of power for good purposes rather than endure humbly and bear faithful witness as the means of overcoming. Right? Who does the who does the God of heaven set ultimately over the kingdoms of men? As we learn here, he sets over them the lowliest, the humblest of men. And therefore, while we may be tempted to fight the world and the kingdoms of men using their tactics, employing their power, And even with good intentions and purposes in mind, yet God calls us then, in light of this truth, to live humbly as his people. To bear humble and faithful witness as the means of overcoming in this world. 
And so whether we feel like hobbits or we feel like wielding the enemy's ring of power, we need to heed and learn the lesson that King Nebuchadnezzar was taught in a very uh, remarkable way here. And so as we come to learn that, we'll flesh that out um, as we follow the storyline. First, we're just going to think about the dream itself. Uh, Secondly, we're going to look at its fulfillment. And then thirdly, we'll consider Nebuchadnezzar's final confession, as this will be the last time we'll hear about him in Daniel chapter 4. And so first, the dream itself, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar, like in chapter 2, is given a dream, ultimately, as we know, from the God of heaven. And it startles him. It's very likely that King Nebuchadnezzar understood actually much of what his dream was telling him, which is why it startled him. Um, and so he calls his, his wise men, the magicians, as it says in verse 7, the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, those who proved uh, um, incompetent before, those who proved themselves uh, failures before. He again just repeats himself, calls them in, uh, to give them him the interpretation of this dream. And so they, of course, are unable to provide him with it, or they were unwilling because they understood what the dream was telling King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it took a man of God, the God of heaven, Daniel, with true strength as he's brought before him to give him the real uh, meaning and interpretation of this dream. And so King Nebuchadnezzar then brings Daniel in before him and, and conveys to him the content of his dream. And that dream had to do with this cosmic tree that has grown tall into the heavens. And the imagery was very um, well known in the ancient Near East. In Babylon, um, you can read um, some of the history there, where it was often associated, a king was often associated with a tree. In a sense, one book I had read had said that in the ancient Near East, a king is a tree and arrogance is high. See the same thing, we're not going to read it for the sake of time, but in Ezekiel chapter 31, the first 11 verses there, you have uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, also compared to a tree that has grown grown tall, a tree uh, whose kingdom has become powerful. And so, King Nebuchadnezzar is, as Daniel tells him, this cosmic tree whose branches and whose shade reaches in seemingly to the ends of the earth. It seems as if he has grown tall and his dominion is as far as heaven itself. Now, to pause here for just a moment, the tree imagery is very significant, right? Because we're going to find one who is going to come to chop down such a tree that has grown tall in its pride, tall in its arrogance, confident in itself. And we see throughout the whole narrative the importance of height, Of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, as a tree, has grown very tall. He's one who has become great in his height. When the the dream comes to its fulfillment, we find King Nebuchadnezzar not down below with the people, but we find him where? On the palace roof, looking down upon everything as he stands over it and surveys the land as master of all. And it's when, that, when he does so that he realizes that there's something even above him because we hear that a voice fell from heaven. So height is really significant as it shows us that the tall, the proud grow tall, but God will chop down all who are proud. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is compared to this cosmic tree in, in his dream. 
And we might say one further thing, okay, why not just simply tell us, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar is a proud man, and King Nebuchadnezzar is arrogant, and he's, self, and he's confident in himself, and he must be chopped down because God alone is the one who is to receive all glory, not King Nebuchadnezzar or who else. Well, one of the reasons, right, we find this symbolism here, even and all throughout the book of Daniel, whether it's a fiery furnace, right, imagery there, or we find a statue um, that uh, in, in uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's previous dream and a stone coming down from heaven, whether we're brought before a lion's den or a, an invisible hand appearing on the wall. All of these images throughout the book of Daniel are intended to shock us to the reality of what things are really like. Right? King Nebuchadnezzar from the outside may have looked um, like, a, like a good king. I mean, we see here that in many ways the earth finds refuge in him. The, the, the birds of the, of the air, they rest in its branches. Uh, the beasts of the field find refuge in its shadow. And yet, we're reminded here and, and shocked to the reality that King Nebuchadnezzar is truly a proud king who must be humbled by the God of heaven. And so King Nebuchadnezzar and the imagery here is meant to shock us to what things, not to what things look like, right? If you looked at King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't look like a tree, but what things are like. Same idea is in the book of Revelation as well. All the imagery there is not meant to tell us what things look like, but what things are like. A cosmic tree that is felled by a divine axeman from heaven tells us that though earthly powers may go, grow strong in its, their pride, heaven itself will chop them down to size in the end, right? It's a, that's the image that we're meant to, it's meant to stick into our minds as we live as God's people, whether as hobbits or whether as those who want to wield rings of power. And so we have this great, Im, this great Im, uh, dream that King Nebuchadnezzar is given, and Daniel, at the end of it, as he tells him its interpretation, reminds him that this is, of course, referring to you. King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon had grown impressive. It had grown uh, great. In many ways, he has begun to embody again the same principles we've mentioned a number of times that were present early on in the Tower of Babel. A project to glorify man and a project to defy the Lord of heaven. And King Nebuchadnezzar seems to be succeeding in doing well at that. He's a proud man who seems to be contesting heaven itself. And so as Daniel gives him this uh, interpretation, he reminds him, though, that one from heaven will come, and he will chop down this tree, leaving only its stump. And so there is some hope held out to King Nebuchadnezzar. Though he will be chopped down to size, though he will, be, he will fall great in his pride, he will remain and he will be restored when he comes to know that the God of heaven, the Most High, rules the kingdoms of men and sets over it whom he wills. That King Nebuchadnezzar is not one who has gained and, and brought these things to himself by his own strength or his own power, but he himself has received them from the God of heaven. This is true of King Nebuchadnezzar, and as we have said before, this is true of all those who possess earthly power. All earthly power is not ultimately taken by one's own strength, but is given from God. And therefore, all earthly powers are accountable to the God of heaven to bring him glory. 
And so Daniel teaches him and, and uh, gives the interpretation of this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, telling him and warning him about what is to come if he continues in his arrogance, in his haughty spirit. And then he warns him at the end, uh, after warning him rather, he gives him this counsel in verse 27. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel calls him to repentance. Daniel calls him uh, to no longer act in the pride pride of his heart and to view Babylon as a self-glorification project, but instead that he might use what God has given him as a righteous king who defends the causes of the poor and delivers the children of the needy, as Psalm 72 uh, reminds us. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has both the dream, its interpretation, and this counsel from Daniel. And he may have been reminded of it for some time. But then in verse 28, as we move to the fulfillment of this dream, it says that all of this, verse 28, came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months, right? So Daniel had appeared before him about a year later. King Nebuchadnezzar is now found walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And it says in verse 30 that the king said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Right, so this project of King Nebuchadnezzar, as he surveys it as master of, the, of all, looks upon it and says that this is all to his glory, and it all redounds to his majesty as he surveys it. He, and he had very good reason. A number of historians will note as he looked out, he likely saw the hanging gardens that he had built, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He had built them for his wife. Uh, he had, may have been looking upon the walls of his city, that were so wide, a chariot drawn by four horses could make a U-turn on it. I mean, these are massive walls, and one of the seven wonders of the world, as he's looking down upon it all as the work of his hands. And he sees it all as that which is meant to bring him glory. Now, not to completely allegorize this account, but have have you never been there in in, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's position? Maybe looking upon the works of your own hands, what you've accomplished in your careers, what you might have accomplished and brought about or achieved, and said the same thing as King Nebuchadnezzar. Is not this great Babylon which I have built, or this great career which I have built, or this great whatever that I have built by my power, for the glory of my majesty? King Nebuchadnezzar, And all that befalls him reminds us that all such thinking and all such pride that we might find in our hearts, and you probably do as I do in my own heart, God will cut down to size. And that God will, as King Nebuchadnezzar confesses in the end, that he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And so King Nebuchadnezzar again looks out upon this Babylon, upon his palace, And now all that had been prophesied in his dream comes to pass. It says at the end of verse 30, verse 31, While the words were still in the king's mouth, 
there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Because the God of heaven is the one who rules the kingdoms of men. And in an instant, in a swift axe strike, King Nebuchadnezzar can fall. In a moment, the king who was once standing on his royal palace, high and lifted up, is now brought low and sent away into the fields of beasts and birds. This is what God accomplishes in a moment. And God can can do so to all who raise themselves and exalt themselves against the Lord and desire their glory over against God's glory and do not recognize him. The Bible warns us of this over and over again. Proverbs 16, verse 18, in King uh, Solomon's great wisdom, he said that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And Jesus taught us this as well in Matthew 23, verse 12, as he's speaking to the proud Pharisees. He says to them, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, the pride of his heart, the ugliness of his heart, now um, transforms him into literally a beast. Now, if I was forced, and I had to be forced, to pick a favorite Disney movie, I've, I've mentioned Disney before in negative terms, but if I had to pick a favorite, um, Beauty and the Beast is my favorite one. And in that story, I'm not even sure, I guess movie, story, whatever it might be, right, uh, you have this proud, arrogant prince, right? And he treats his servants poorly, he, he rules his kingdom with an iron fist, and a curse is put upon him so that the ugliness of his heart, right, what was in his heart always, the pride of his heart and the way he ruled, would now be his, would come to be his own appearance. He becomes externally what he was always internally, bestial. And the same thing we see with King Nebuchadnezzar. The pride of his heart, though he may look splendor and, and with majesty and glory all about him, the pride of his heart has now transformed him outwardly into a kind of beast of the field. Now, a number of commentators and people commenting on this text will try to figure out, well, what kind of mental illness befell King Nebuchadnezzar? Are there any parallels that we know? Possibly, but that's not really the point to locate that. The point is that he's come under divine judgment. And the mind of a man, reasonable, has been taken away from him. So that the God of heaven has humbled this proud king who could build um, hanging gardens and who can construct great walls, who can rule a great kingdom and conquer lands, this king is now made under divine judgment as the divine axeman swings and chops his heights down, is made to be like one of the beasts of the field. His mind left him in many ways. Again, the insanity of King Nebuchadnezzar reflects the insanity of all who do not recognize that there is a God in heaven. Right? So if you yourself are not one who recognizes and look, is able to look up, well, in many ways we are no different than King Nebuchadnezzar. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by the God of heaven and immediately swiftly drawn and sent into the wilderness, into the field. And he's left like a stump until he comes to know, until he comes to know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, including the kingdom of Babylon. 
And so as this comes upon King Nebuchadnezzar and he's driven out away, we then hear this as King Nebuchadnezzar recounts for us uh, his restoration. As it says in verse 36, we'll jump back to his confession, but notice verse 36. As he himself at the end, actually verse 34, sorry. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. So King Nebuchadnezzar, it was not until, right, his eyes were raised heavenward. And he acknowledged that there is a king in heaven that he was restored. And restored to greater glory than he had before. Because now he knows that that the God of heaven, the king of heaven, rules the kingdom of men, that King Nebuchadnezzar is a servant, ultimately, of the Most High God. God is able to take the most proud, the most arrogant, the most haughty, with all of their splendor, all of their power that they may amass to themselves, and God is able to humble them because he is ultimately the ruler and the kings of earth. And therefore, when we feel small in a big world, We trust that he is with us and he is reigning and ruling even over such men that seem stronger and bigger than us. And when we may be tempted for ourselves to join the world in its game of pride and power, we can avoid that and pursue humble means of faithful witness. Because again, we know that it's not to those of of great strength and power that, that, that the kingdoms belong, but to those of lowly hearts, those who are humble, that those are the ones whom God raises up. That's Nebuchadnezzar's confession. The inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. God does his, according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? To grow afraid is to lose sight of that. To grow proud is to lose sight of that. But rather, as we live as faithful people before our God in this world, no matter the strength of the opposition against us, we know that it's our God who rules the kingdoms of men. He can dispose, he can set up, and ultimately, he will set up and has set up a humble king who is a true cosmic tree who will reign over all things forever and ever. In many ways, as Israel themselves heard this message, and heard King Nebuchadnezzar's confession, right? They themselves were comforted because they were under his power. And they knew that God himself was still with them. He was still their God. He still ruled the kingdoms of men, and therefore they had nothing to fear. But they also gave them great hope because they knew themselves and in many ways could see themselves in King Nebuchadnezzar. Israel as a people had grown proud. They trusted their own hands. They thought that they gained, all they had they gained for themselves. And they forgot their God. It's why God sent them into exile. And they themselves have been chopped down to nothing more than a stump. The prophet Isaiah, after he's lifted up to see the Lord high and exalted, the truly high and exalted one, not King Nebuchadnezzar, but as Isaiah is brought up in Isaiah chapter 6 to see the Lord seated upon his throne high and lifted up, he's then given this uh, proclamation, this prophecy of judgment that will come against the people of Israel in which they are sent into exile. 
And then in verse 11, Isaiah asks the Lord, saying, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people from far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. In many ways, as Nebuchadnezzar had been cut down to no more than a stump, so Israel itself in Babylon had been cut down to nothing more than a stump. But then, Isaiah prophesies that from the stump of Israel, from the root of Jesse, seed of David, a branch will spring forth. And this branch will grow. And this branch, his kingdom, will be a true kingdom. Unlike King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, that ended one of a, of a project of man's self-glorification, that this kingdom that would shoot forth from the stump of Israel would be a kingdom in which the glory of God would be maintained and upheld and enjoyed by his people forever and ever. That from this kingdom, from this stump, would come a kingdom greater than anything King Nebuchadnezzar ever set up. The true cosmic tree, the true king would come who would provide healing in his branches, refuge under his shade, fruit to nourish the nations. It's this kingdom that would come. And they saw in that King Nebuchadnezzar was restored. King Nebuchadnezzar received restoration. That all of that anticipated and foreshadowed God's fulfillment of his greater promise that again, from the stump of Israel, a seed of David would spring forth and a a tree would grow that would cover the whole earth. Jesus tells us in a parable in Matthew 13, verse 31, regarding the kingdom that he brought near. It says that Jesus put before them another parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branch. You see, the the promise that from the stump of Israel, a new shoot would come forth that would grow into a great tree. That tree is found and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the king whose reign will be over the whole earth. And it's this king who shows us that not the proud, but the lowliest, God will set over his kingdom. It's what Mary sung of when the angel announced to her the birth of the Messiah, the king. She said, God has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those Of humble estates. Jesus Christ shows us that God Himself will tear down the thrones of the proud, but He will raise and exalt His humble servants. And He's done so in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, we had sung this as uh, based. The song we sung before the sermon is based upon uh, this text. To have this kind of mind among ourselves. It says, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was one of infinite glory and majesty, and though he too, like King Nebuchadnezzar, and even in a more real sense, could look down upon his creation and say, look at the work of my hands. All things are from him. All things are through him. All things are to him. They truly are the works of his hand. If anyone could claim what King Nebuchadnezzar claimed, on a cosmic scale, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one through whom God created all things. He was himself truly God. And yet, this king of infinite worth, this king of great majesty, humbled himself. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, the lowliest position you could assume in this earth. That's the point. He did not come and say, well, I'm leaving heaven's glory. Let me take the top spot on earth. No, he comes as in the lowliest of forms as a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The king of glory hanging bloodied on a cross, reserved only for the worst of criminals, unworthy of even a Roman citizen, and yet the king of glory is hanging there for you. The king of glory is hanging there, testifying to the truth of Daniel 4, that God sets over his kingdom the lowliest of men, and that through a great mystery of salvation, God tears down the proud and the exalted, and he sets up one who humbles himself the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul goes on to say, therefore, right? Of course, the story of Christ does not end there, him humbling himself on the cross. But therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Nebuchadnezzar at best could get the earth. But in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that last phrase is very important. Christ receives the kingdom. Christ is that cosmic tree who will reign over all things, whose branches will reach from the, from the north to the south and the east and the west over all the earth. And all of that, unlike King Nebuchadnezzar who said, for the, mag- for the glory of my majesty. Yet Christ says, to the glory of God my Father. And therefore, Paul is saying to us, right, as we receive the teaching of Daniel 4, right, and we're comforted or we're humbled by it, and we set our minds upon Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, then have this mind among yourselves. And so the question is, right, in light of this reality, right, in light of the truth that God has made known to us, are we insane like King Nebuchadnezzar, thinking it's all to our own glory, flexing for our own power and prestige? Or do we have the mind of Christ that says, may it all be to the glory of God the Father? May the mind of Christ be ours. May the mind of Christ define Messiah's Reformed Fellowship. Not the mind of King Nebuchadnezzar, 
one driven to the fields like a beast, but rather may the mind of Christ rule us and guide us. And may we consider well that it's through his path of humility, through his hanging on the cross, that he has been highly exalted. And with the mind of Christ, may we know that God rules the kingdoms of men and he sets over it the lowliest of men. And so as this mind of Christ is working out among us, Paul sees it working itself out. As we begin to humble ourselves before one another, Paul says, don't consider yourself more important than you ought. But with the mind of Christ, may we consider others more important than ourselves. Who could have considered himself more important than the Son of God? And yet for you, he came and died. He considered you in that sense more important than himself in that moment. And therefore, as we live amongst one another, as we recognize that the God of heaven rules the kingdoms of men, that he has set over it, the lowliest of men, the humblest of men, Jesus Christ himself, may we pursue humility in all that we do, in all of our relations towards one another, thinking of others more important than ourselves. See, the mind of Christ is one that is not set upon itself, right, looking inward and focused upon self and thinking everything is unto my glory, but rather it looks outward, it sees others, it looks to Christ first and foremost, and it looks to his people to serve them and love them, and it looks to the world around us then to show kindness, to show acts of mercy, and ultimately to point them to life and salvation in Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to have the mind of Christ among us. This is the mind that we are to have in light of Daniel 4, in light of Philippians 2, in light of what Christ has done. And ultimately, in the end, the last note of history will not be to the glory of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's faded away and gone. The last note of history will not be to the glory of any nation, any people, not be to a president, it will not be to a celebrity or to an athlete. The last note of history will be to the glory of the Lamb who is seated upon his throne. And so I want to conclude just by reading uh, Revelation 5. There we read, As the Apostle John looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you are the God of heaven who rules the kingdoms of men. Father, we know that in the midst of a proud world, you have set up your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that it's the kingdom of the lowliest of men that have no endings. It's the kingdoms of Christ who humbled himself that is everlasting, and that his glory will never fade. And so, Father, may we have eyes to see, may we have ears to hear, and may we have the mind of Christ that we might also ourselves pursue humility in the face of a proud world, humbling ourselves as servants of all, that we might follow after Christ our King. And may we do so knowing that you are one 
who brings down the proud from their lofty thrones, and that you raise and exalt those of humble estate. You've done so in your Son, and you will do so in your church. And so we pray that we would follow Christ then in bearing faithful, humble witness to his great and glorious name. We pray this in his name. Amen.